Going Linux, episode 260, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, listener feedback. If you want to send us feedback, you can send it by email to goinglinux at gmail.com or you can send us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. Three minutes or less or it will cut you off as it did to one of our listeners. And uh, we'll we'll take care of editing the two bits together, so just call back and uh, pick up where you left off, as Paul did. Larry, Larry, yes, sir. Larry. Yes. I have had a crazy week. Yeah, what's been going on? I had to call Time Warner. I got my last bill. Uh-huh. Yes, this is a Time Warner rant, so okay. anybody that's not interested, just kind of fast forward it. Got my bill, and my bill keeps going up every month. I can't mm. figure it out. Yeah, Nothing changes, and it keeps going up. And so I give him a call, and I'm just like, look, guys, I- I'm really thinking of just dropping you and going, you know, I'll find another internet provider or whatever. I said, you know, because I- I- we have our TV with them, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, okay, hold on before you do that. You know, let us look and see what we can do. Well, hour later, uh, they found $56 in discounts <laughs> okay uh they bumped my internet speed from 20 to 50 down and five up which ooh, is good for me i like i'm rocking life now with 50, yeah. 50 megs down i think i finally got you larry i really do and uh it's blazingly fast. I'm getting uh, 56 down and about six up, so it's a little more than what I'm what they said I would get. And uh, I already had one of the new modems, so <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Nah, 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 I got you beat, Larry. <laughs> so okay. Wait a, so wait a minute. Wait a minute. So Time Warner underpromised and overdelivered. Isn't that backwards from what they normally do? <laughs> yeah. I'm not calling them back. And tell them, oh. <laughs> yeah, Thank tell you, them, guy. Tell them they made a mistake. They gave you too much speed. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the bill's still expensive. Yeah. But I'm sitting there going, how can you, I have, you, and they gave me the the 50, which is as fast as South, you can get in South Carolina in my area. Yeah, yeah. Um, for the same price I was paying for 30. Yeah, yeah, and that's good. That's good. And one other thing, the beast is back finally, and it's enjoying that 50 megabytes of, of down. I was able to update my PC Linux OS because it had been gone for a while. Uh, it was like 600 megs worth in about 20 seconds. Now, I'm kind of upset. 20 seconds. I had to wait 20 seconds to get everything. <laughs> How many well, I thought I, I thought 20 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I, I think I finally got, am able to kick you to the curb, Larry. So what you got? Uh, well, when, when you told me on Skype that you had successfully talked to Time Warner, mm-hmm. um, I called up Time Warner myself. Cause, no, you didn't. Yeah, I did. And oh. we have Time Warner here. And it turns out they have upgraded our service in our area. And, of course, they didn't advertise this to anybody. So I had been on a plan that gave me 20 down and I think it was like two or three up or maybe it was five up. I, I yeah. forget. Yeah. So, um, I called before you, before you announce this, am I going to hate you? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because in my area, they had upgraded our service from whatever their maximum used to be. And I didn't have the, the top level plan because, mm-hmm. you know, hey, budgets and all that other stuff too. Uh, and I really didn't need, uh, at the time I got it, um, uh, the, anything more than what I had. And it was beginning to test the edges of download capabilities with some of the video and stuff that I was doing. But anyway, 
Uh, turns out that they have upgraded the service in our area, and I was able to fend off uh, an increase in rate because we had a promotional rate that was even even on the slower speed, giving us, you know, reasonable uh, rate, reasonable for mm -hmm. Time Warner means expensive as opposed yeah. to very expensive. So we were on the brink of that promotion going away. So long story short, when I went to their website, it looked like they were offering 300 megabits down in my area. So I called them up and I said, I see that you're offering 300 megabits down for exactly the same prices we're paying right now. And of course they say, oh, of course that's for new customers. You're an existing customer. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. So okay, I said, okay, well, what can you do for us? And and the gentleman that was on the phone with us, he, he actually wasn't condescending or anything, as I just implied in my, in my comment there. <laughs> he was very helpful. And he said, let me see what I can do. I, there may be a promotion that I can get, or maybe I can merge two promotions together and see what, see what I can do. And he said, well, you know, the best I can do is on that 300, uh, you know, we, we couldn't really get it close. It's, it's more like, you know, uh, twice what you're paying now, uh, hmm. not quite, not quite twice what you're paying now, but let me send you over to this other department. I forget what he called the department, but basically it's the retention department, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he was very courteous, very helpful, very unlike most Time Warner people I've dealt with in the past. And I wish I could remember his name. But um, the uh, retention department was almost equally helpful. They were, they were courteous, at least. And so they said, yeah, we can't really give you the 300 megabits for the price you're paying now because that's just for new customers. And this wasn't their words, but this is what I heard <laughs> is mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't treat our existing customers as well as we do new customers. So yeah. anyway, um, it turns out that they weren't able to match the price, even with the promotions of our existing price uh, at the 300 megabits. But they were able to give me 200 megabits. Think, think of this. This is 10 times the speed for the same price. And so they said, well, you know, with your, in order to take advantage of this new speed, we're going to have to send you a new modem and it'll arrive on Monday. And, um, you know, in the meantime, we're only going to be able to get you up to 100 megabits down on your existing hardware. So oh, I, I said, oh, you. I got to wait till Monday. I hate you. <laughs> so um, the, the modem arrived yesterday. <laughs> and I installed it. Wait a minute. It actually come earlier than Time Warner said? Yeah, again, under promise and over deliver. Um they're they're are they changing their ways or were these Is two things or something? In a way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something's going wrong. Anyway, um so I installed the uh the modem last night and am using it now and before exchanging the hardware I was able to actually get that hundred down and mm -hmm. ten megabits up. 10 megabits up. Yeah, oh, so 100 down, 10 up with the old hardware. Mm -hmm. With the new modem, I'm able to get 20 megabits up and 66 megabits down. So I'm actually getting less down than I was before the change in the hardware. So I've got to call them up and find out what's going wrong. And even after I first installed it, before I fiddled with the settings on the modem, it, was, mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't up to the speed that they said I was going to get. Of course, it's the weekend as we're recording this, so I so, may yeah. have to wait until tomorrow to uh, to give them a call. But we'll get this straightened out. And even with that, I mean, 66 down me. is still way faster than I was getting before, and the upload speed is way faster than... Well, it's about what my download speed was before. <laughs> what What is it with South Carolina and California? I, I get the fastest South Carolina has to offer in my area, and California just smacks me down four times the speed. Yeah, well, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a more heavily populated area. I don't know. How big is the city you live in? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a medium-sized city. It's called uh, Florence, but, mm. yeah. Okay, uh, well. Anyway, uh, 
Oh, well, yeah. I hate you. Well, you just, no, well, hey, you shouldn't. You, you're you're getting better, 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 better speed than you were before. So yeah, but you had to go. I mean, I, you didn't let me have any bragging rights. You had to just. You didn't just blow me I out guess, of the water I by guess, a little I bit. I guess I could have waited a little bit, but yeah, you, you could have at least waited a you know a day yeah. or two. But no, you went and called that night. And now you got four times the speed. Well, Bill, it's all your fault. You shouldn't have said anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I give up. Okay, so I, I take all my bragging back. Apparently, I'm I'm the piece of dung <laughs> in South Carolina. <laughs> Golly. No, we're, we're, well, congratulations. We're, yeah, thank you. But we're both still way behind Sweden. and Yeah, what, is, those, what do they com- get? Yeah, I don't know. They get like... Korea? You know, Korea's got what? They get fiber speeds for free or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Or, or close to it compared to the prices we pay. But anyway. Oh, well. Yeah, so I've got this, uh, this speed at the promotional price for a year, and then we'll... See what happens. And Call no con- back and, and threaten them. Yeah, and no contract, which is good. Yeah, so that's nice. Yeah, so in a year, I'll call them up again and complain and see what they can do. Golly. I'm, I'm glad you have better speed, minutes. and I'm glad your Beast computer is back and working yes. wonderfully. And now we can get into our um, emails and voicemails. We got some voicemails this time. Oh, good. Yeah, the first one is a complaint from Paul. Oh. Yeah. So let's play this. This one's a bit long, guys, so uh, bear with us a bit. Paul very nicely summarizes the entire story, uh, and we thought it was important for especially new listeners uh, to hear the background, and so here's Paul's comment. Hello, this is Paul from Louisville, Kentucky. Even though I'm grateful to Larry and Bill for providing Going Linux for free, I feel compelled to express my frustration on how they have handled my question regarding accessing an encrypted drive data by way of a Linux Live CD. On the last appearance of Larry on Computer America, tinkering was discussed. It's that kind of tinkering that led me to try to see if I could access my encrypted Linux Peppermint OS by way of a Live CD. Larry and Bill, I'm about to recount something that should really set you all straight as to exactly what happened. When I booted into the live CD and tried to access my data, I was asked for my password. I supplied the correct password, but still couldn't get to the data. I asked for assistance from the Peppermint forms, but still wasn't able to get anything to work. I emailed Larry, and he sent me a link to a website that showed me how to do just what I've been trying to do, access my data on my encrypted hard drive by way of a Linux Live CD. When Bill read from my email on Going Linux show number 257 about my problem of not being able to access my data by way of a Live CD, he said, and I quote, yeah, That's kind of the reason you encrypted it, to keep people from trying to do what you're trying to do. Larry chimed in with similar, yeah, you're out of luck if you don't have the keys. Bill even ended the podcast with, don't blindly paste commands into a terminal and don't try to access your data from an encrypted drive. Jump forward to Larry's appearance on Computer America. When Carrie Holtzman asked Larry who's right, Bill or Paul, Larry sides with Bill. Now, Bill, when you read my email on episode 257, I clearly stated I was only having trouble getting data from my encrypted drive when I tried booting in with a live CD. It's a logical conclusion that if I'm not if I'm not having trouble getting into my system normally, I must have the password. So therefore, you either at the time of the broadcast of episode 257 believed it's not possible to access an encrypted drive with a live CD, or you totally ignored what I said about the fact that I had no trouble booting into my system normally. Somehow, Bill and Larry have turned my problem into my having lost 
my key or password, and that is just not what happened. I never lost the password or key. Since this is your show, I'm going to let you all have the last word and put it to rest. Paul. Well, Paul, um, really sorry we we misunderstood or didn't get the real point. Um, it, it turns out that we read the email on two different occasions in our regular listener feedback and on uh, Computer America. And in fact, that was Craig Crossman, not uh, Kerry Holtzman, that made the comment. Carrie hasn't been on Computer America for over a year, I guess. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know what we got wrong there. Um, we, I, What do you think, Bill? I would say sorry. I misunderstood what the thing said. Uh, I would say uh, anybody that's listening, go back to that episode and listen and see maybe if you can offer Paul some um some information or some help. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still not clear on the, how he's got password versus keys and that sort of stuff, and and I, I'm still confused a little bit. So let's, as Paul says, put this one to bed. Uh, if any of our listeners do understand what Paul is trying to get across to us, and Bill and I are just too thick to understand it, and have some suggestions for Paul, that would be great if you could send that in to us. Put it on Google Plus or send us a voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. Again, sorry we couldn't help you, Paul. Yep. Our next voicemail is from Vic, and here's what Vic has to say. Hi, Bill. Larry. Good to uh, see you keeping the show going. Uh, this is Vic. Uh, just wanted to talk about the feedback that you gave on using iTunes with Linux. Uh, you recommended using Gpodder, and it looked great. That's all give get everything done that I want. Unfortunately, one of the things I was trying to do with uh, iTunes is actually download some of the items there, and you can't download it without an account, and you can't get an account without uh, using Windows or Mac. So I was a bit stuffed for a while on that, and uh, unfortunately, Gpodder didn't hack it for that part of it anyway. But I came across um, an interesting little project uh, that actually does that. And it's called Tunes Viewer, as in iTunes without the I. So Tunes Viewer is one word. It's on SourceForge. And if you install that, it's a fairly straightforward install on most um, Linuxes. And it'll let you go through two iTunes and get the material and download that. And you can view it then on your uh, on your Linux box quite happily. So I thought you might be interested in that. One of the things I've got there is uh, iTunes University, and there's a lot of very good material there from a lot of good sources. Uh, I wish they wouldn't put it on iTunes uh, since they don't support Linux um, natively, uh, at least it seems like this hack will work around that. I haven't managed to get the, uh, if you install it, there's a player in there. Um, but I keep getting a plugin required, um, so you can't view it within there. But it does download nicely, and you can view it uh, the downloaded file. So, anyway, I thought that might be uh, useful to yourself and to listeners. So, all best. It's uh, Vic here, and uh, take care. Talk to you again. Cheers. Okay, thanks, Vic. Um, Tunes Viewer. Um, <laughs> it it's actually. Available in the Linux Mint repositories, and I downloaded it and installed the deb package and worked great. Did just what I expected. Let me sign up for the uh, iTunes U, uh, download those episodes, and download regular podcast episodes as well. And it works kind of like iTunes, except yeah. it's a Linux package. Well, I'm going to have to see if PC Linux has this in their repositories. They might. And if not, there's an RPM for it. Yep. So, yeah. Oh. I still prefer the podcatchers or podcast mm -hmm. receiving software that allow me to subscribe uh, using my phone. Uh, and I've been using Stitcher on my phone. Uh, and Stitcher on web pages as well, mainly because it's uh, 
it's reliable and it allows streaming and it seems to work just fine. And Tunes Viewer works too much like iTunes for my liking. <laughs> so uh, uh, thanks for the suggestion. It may just be what somebody is looking for in our audience. Yeah. So give that a try. And if you like it better than what you're using today, great. If it gives you access to some things in iTunes that you weren't able to access with your current player, even better. Okay, Larry. We Next, we've got an anonymous voicemail on Mesh Networks. Absolutely. Well, let's play that one. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, what I am curious about is Mesh Networks. How do they work? And what is a uh, good program to use, uh, say, on Ubuntu? Uh, could you help me out and explain a little detail on how they work? Thank you very much. Uh, okay, hey, thanks for that uh, voicemail. And you know what, Larry, that might be a good uh, Going Links episode about mesh networks to kind of explain how they work. Yeah, I think that would be. Um, basically, the the concept is if one computer has access to the internet mm -hmm. and the computer that you're using is too far from the access point to be able to actually connect, that you can connect your computer to another computer through the Wi-Fi uh, connections. And then someone else can connect to you. Yeah, and, and et cetera, et cetera, you, et cetera. you can set up a mesh, essentially, of interconnected computers using the Wi-Fi, but connecting directly to the computer rather than via the Internet. And if one of those computers has access to the Internet, then because they're all networked together, all of the computers have access to the Internet. Now, I don't know what that does to the speed, but where there is no Internet access, this could actually... Uh, provide internet to remote locations that don't have it. So actually, there is a, a village in Africa that they been, they're using a mesh network, mm -hmm. and uh, I can't remember the specifics. I just remember reading about it and saying that was pretty cool. Uh, they all had uh, well, what caught my attention is every one of these computers was uh, since they had no reliable power was hand crank. Oh right, okay, I remember hearing something it's, about that. So they would crank it. And then they could connect to uh, the internet, and then everybody else could connect to them, and they created this mesh network. And of course, you would have to, uh, I think you could wind it for uh, a minute or two, and it was good for a couple hours. So, um, and I, what I seem to remember is that this, the operating system was Linux. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember the specifics, I'm going to have to look it up. But yeah, they, it was, it was interesting because they said, you know, this, this village didn't have water, didn't have, uh, uh, electricity, didn't have sanitary sewers or anything like that in one of the poorest villages. And so they had given these computers and with these hand cranks that run Linux that could do mesh networking. And I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. That was a few years ago too. So. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll do our research on this and maybe put together an episode on, uh, if, if not dedicated to mesh networks, then include it in the episode and, uh, provide you some information on it. So thanks for the suggestion. Yes. And I wish you'd left your name so we could thank you by name. Thanks, Anonymous. <laughs> okay. Our next voicemail, our last voicemail is from Ryan. Here we go. Hi, Bill. Hi, Larry. This is Ryan in Denver. Normally, this is what people say hi back, but I know you're busy, so I don't take it personally. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. I have both a gun Linux story and a software pick, so if I get a bit rambly, feel free feel free to cut out anything irrelevant. And there's your end point. Anyway, I found your podcast a few weeks ago, start, started from the beginning, and now I'm up to about episode 250. I usually skip the Computer America episodes, and you do a really good job of being both informative and entertaining. 
All too often, people providing computer instructional content sound more like Ben Stein giving a lecture on covalent bonds. I mean, uh, it's okay if you're into that thing, but I'm not. But anyway, um, I've been interested in Linux for about five-ish years and first tried about four and a half years ago. With WOS, I find I have to reformat and reinstall about every six months or it ends up like running in a swamp with my pants around my ankles. By the way, don't try that. Just trust me on this one. <laughs> so I figured I'd give Linux a whirl um, at the time when I had to do it. But even with my Dell Inspiron 530, which I still use, hardware compatibility was too big of an obstacle to work around. So I begrudgingly returned to W. And fast forward to last October, I you know went back to school for electronics, and my professor at the time mentioned that Linux had gotten much more user-friendly and hardware compatible. I tried uh, Ubuntu 1304, and everything worked right out of the box. I'll spare you the details, but I had, I had to return to W for school software issues. Recently, the school expanded their lab, so I just go there for the tasks requiring the WOS, and now I'm all Linux! Last month, I bought an Asus laptop with the explicit intention to load it with Linux, and I was rudely introduced to UEFI, and don't get me started on that soapbox. After about eight hours, I was finally able to nuke and pave it with Ubuntu 14.04, and then I hopped like a rabbit uh, across distros to eventually settle on Manjaro. I find that my drive to tinker doesn't really mesh well with the LTS. Ubuntu's a good intro into Linux, don't get me wrong, but and it's nice to know that I can depend on it as a fallback, but, you know, I like to mess with things. Through this process, I found that I was that I'm fascinated by Arch. With uh, DOS and Windows 95 were my intro into computing, I am not at all afraid of the command line. Um, I prefer the GUI, but, you know, if I have to do the command line, then, hey, all right. So I decided to give it a shot on my desktop, the Dell. I wouldn't have attempted if I only had the one computer, though. I mean, there were many points at which I needed the laptop to help me through the process. Getting Arch to work properly, it was 25% research, 25% trial, and 80% error. And yes, I'm well aware that adds up to more than 100%. <laughs> but during that process, I made a document with the exact commands in the right order, and I can get to a full working desktop in about 90 minutes. I had to nuke and pave many, many times to try and get it right and got to a point where I have a whole bunch of desktop environments and I'm really happy with it. And now my girlfriend wants me to replace her XP with Linux, so here we go with Arch! No, no, no. It'll be mint. I want to make this easy for her. Jeez. Anyway, <laughs> now for the software pick. Um, it's actually a web-based audio processor called Auphonic. Um, it does a good job of cleaning up hum and static. Um, it has a levelator, like the program you've talked about earlier. It's, um, earlier, that was a few years ago, Ryan. Jeez. And it also has an adaptive volume normalizer. Um, and that, that cleans up the, well, obviously their levelator tool does the same thing that the program levelator does. Um, they also have a volume normalizer. Well, that just, it cleans up the peaks and brings up the low parts a bit. But it doesn't touch, like, like low volume music, um, it doesn't touch that with the volume normalizer like their levelator tool does. It's free, as in beer. Um, I don't know if it's free as in speech, but um, you do get up to two hours of audio processing time every month for free. And a- after that, you have to pay for it. Um, but for the amount of time it cuts out on my editing, it's well worth it. I export export the file or whatever I'm working on from Audacity to Waveform, update it to their website, and 10 minutes later, it's ready to download an MP3, and and then I just have to, you know, clean clean up the, do the content editing, you know, or get rid of the mumbly times, like, just now. <laughs> and, you know, the clean up the pauses and everything, but it doesn't do that kind of editing, but, I mean, as far as sound quality and, and what whatnot, I'd, you know, I 
can't speak enough of it. Um, their website is www.auphonic.com, and a link will be in the sh- zip, not show notes. Jeez, oh, there I go again. Um, so I'll put the link put the link in the email. Now, the software pick is not a roundabout way of insinuating that your podcast has, has uh, sound quality just barely on the, this side of nails on a chalkboard. No, um, I just I just thought that you know for I don't know how much time you spend on cleaning up the audio or whatever, but um, I I'm taking a shot in the dark that it takes more than ten minutes. I'm just saying. So um, I just thought that you know you might. It'd be a real good time saver for you. But anyway, um, that's enough for me. <laughs> so um, love the show, guys, and keep up the good work. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, as you promised, it was a bit rambly. <laughs> but we like rambly. Yes, we do. So uh, thanks for the the information about how you've gone Linux over time. And thanks for the suggestion for the Auphonic software we'll uh take a look at that uh haven't tried it yet but um sounds interesting on recording Alphonic? yeah Alphonic, mm-hmm. and we'll have a link in the show notes of course and um, as far as the cleaning up of the the sound and removing noise and removing extraneous stuff from the sound what they call sweetening of the sound i actually do that in Audacity and have a way of doing that within seconds as well. So a phonic really doesn't add anything to my workflow, but uh, it w- might be just the right thing for somebody uh, to use if um, if Audacity isn't for them or they they use something else that doesn't have these features. That would be great. And since a phonic really yeah. doesn't do the editing itself, you really need some additional software as well. And I find that Audacity does it all, and uh, it works just fine. (laughs) With me, you have to take out a lot of noise. (laughs) Well, I think it's the fans going on with your your computer. But that that comes out very easily and within seconds, so not a big deal. Yeah, and it would help if uh, they would ever send my new headset. Yeah, that might help. Then have some pre-noise filtering. That would be great. Yeah, that would be really nice. I'm just I'm waiting for it, and they send you a link that says you can see where your your order is. So you click and it says shipping. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that doesn't tell me anything. No, no tracking number, nothing. No tracking number. Just it's been shipped. Oh, good. So so when it gets there, I can click it again. They'll say delivered. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your tracking. <laughs> okay. Okay. Our our next uh, email come from Matt, and he commented on Google+. He writes, In regards to Hunter's email from episode 231, I wanted to point out that Kali Linux also added Orca support to its release. Okay, Matt. I didn't know that uh, Kali Linux added support to Orca. I know I was looking into PC Linux OS. That's my... My, yep. When I'm running now, it seems like I liked it the best. And, uh, I think they have Orca, but you have to add it. So, right. but, but I don't think it works well with KDE. Now I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, I had heard one of our, uh, emailers had mentioned issues with KDE as well. And so I'm suspecting that that may be the case. I haven't used KDE in a long time, so I don't know, and it's gone undergone quite a bit of change yeah. since I last used it. I like KDE as for how well how PC Linux uh, OS does it, but uh, what I don't know is, do you know what interface the Kali Linux is using? I don't. It's not one that I've used, um, so I don't know which uh, desktop environment comes standard on it. I'm- Let me look that up real quick while we're recording, because. Uh, uh, I want to see, is it based on Ubuntu? Uh, let's see here. Ooh, oh, nice website. Um, let's see, I don't see, let me just look, see if they have any screenshots real quick. Kali Linux based on Debian testing, comes out oh, of Debian. Switzerland, uh, formerly known as Backtrack. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, thank you, distrowatch.com. I actually went to their website. Get a chance to go to the website. It's uh, Cali dot org. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's a nice website. Cali looks uh, like a a good um, 
distribution, I might have to put it in a virtual machine, see how it runs. Yep, and we'll put that in the show notes too. Well, thanks for that, Matt. We thanks, appreciate Matt. it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and there are plenty of uh, distributions out there that that um, support Orca, but only a few that have it installed by default and actually on by default, as we'll see in a uh, in our next email from Michael. Michael says, Hi, I'm Michael from Wakefield in the UK. I'm fairly well adapted to using different operating systems, having used Microsoft DOS in the 1980s, Windows during my first few years at college, Ubuntu before 2010, and until recently, Mac OS X on a MacBook Pro, which I have offered to pass on to my nephew when he's old enough to appreciate it, as he will soon be starting school. I recently purchased a Toshiba satellite laptop in mid-September. I don't know the exact model, and I'm not sure of the processor specification, but it has 8 gigabytes of RAM and a 1 terabyte hard drive. Currently, it runs Windows 8.1, but because I use specialized software to read what's on the screen when inputting and outputting text, for some reason, being told when I am at the login screen is hit and miss, even running window eyes, the screen reader I use on this PC, which is supposed to give audible feedback at the login screen. I'm wondering if this has anything to do with the system updates. During boot up, I had Ubuntu running on a laptop, which was also a Toshiba, but system specifications have changed since 2009 and maybe before. I know the default Ubuntu desktop is now Unity, as I have read about it, so have therefore kept up to date in Linux developments in that sense. At present, I am unable to boot Ubuntu as live, as possibly I need the boot sequence in the BIOS settings changed, which will require sighted assistance, although installing Ubuntu itself shouldn't be a problem, as I believe Orca, the screen reader, should be easier to start before running the installer. Assuming, of course, my hardware is supported. My uh, British Telecom home hub router certainly is. And he continues, he says, I think although my local Linux group is or appears not to be active as I used to attend Hudlug to get up and running with Linux, one of the people who works in my local pub helps people with their computers and I did discuss with him about switching from Windows and he mentioned being familiar with Ubuntu. If I did not make a switch from Windows to Linux, I need a distro that supports screen readers and speech software synthesizers. Which distros are accessible for the totally blind? I believe Ubuntu still is, maybe Fedora, at which time had its own separate modified version for those who had a hardware synthesizer, which had a guided installation using a screen reader called SpeakUp, which may not have been updated for ages, and I read OpenSUSE had a speaking installer. These were things I read about Fedora while modifying the non-modified version to use Orca during installation. I am only guessing that KDE is not yet accessible with speech. Maybe you might be able to point me in the right direction, and it may be that Ubuntu is my best bet as an accessibility Linux distro for someone of my experience. Well, uh, Michael, so thanks for the email. And yeah, we've got some suggestions there. Um, Ubuntu certainly does support Orca. I'm not sure that they provide a version that actually has it um, running at startup by default. I think there is a key sequence that you can press as you start up the live CD or live DVD um, so that it does start the installer with uh, Orca. I don't remember what it is, but I'm sure it's available on their website. And by way of suggestions of distributions that actually do provide installer help uh, with a screen reader on at install time, Sonar Linux and Vinix are the two that we've recommended to yeah. Michael. And we know both of those um, provide installation support out of the box with the screen reader on. Uh, so you can install it without sighted help. 
And so we would recommend that you try both of those. And we've made that recommendation to Michael. And he's actually tried that out. And he's sent us some additional email on his experiences there. He did uh, try Vinix uh, right away. And it uh, seemed not to work for him. Oh. Yeah, he Maybe said... Maybe Sonar is what he needs to try. Well, and he tr he's... Uh, as of the last email, he was going to try Sonar as well. But based on his description, it doesn't sound like that's going to be helpful either. It seems that there is some setting in the BIOS that the gentleman at the pub helped him to fiddle with and was able to get 64-bit versions to uh, of, of a live DVD or a live CD to boot. But still, when he actually gets into the booting process, it doesn't work for some reason and I'm thinking because this is a a Windows 8.1 computer that it's capable of uh 64-bit and he's able to get some booting from it. He even tried Wobi installation and and wasn't able to get it going. So I'm thinking there may be some secure boot things going on. Yeah, his latest email, he says, just thought there was a way of obtaining uh important system information in Windows 8.1, which is a bit like system information in the Apple menu on the Mac. I wish I had kept my order receipt emailed to me as I could have perhaps emailed the relevant information and maybe check against supported computer hardware. Do you know when wow. Windows 8.1, is there a way to get that information from a menu somewhere? Uh, let me look real quick. Let me just, I got my Windows machine right here. Let me look real quick. Yep. Maybe using those instructions, he can figure out which... You know, yeah. does he have 32-bit or 64-bit? And Okay, uh, if you go to uh, click uh, your start button. If you have one. Yeah. Go to, go to control panel. Yeah. Then you'll go to system. And right there, it'll show you the basic information. It'll tell you, like I'm running 8.1 Pro. It'll say, and then it goes system. It says my processor is a core i7 3610QM, and it goes CPU. You know, it gives the speed and everything, and tells how much memory is installed. And then right below that, it says system type, 64-bit operating system, based on an x64 based processor. So if he gets, if he opens that in his Windows 8.1, and it has system type 32-bit. Or it might just say a 32-bit processor. Then he only has a 32-bit processor. Right. Okay, so that's step one. Uh, yeah. Figure out what kind of processor you have, and maybe that's the issue. And if you have a 64-bit processor, uh, then um, there's something else going on. And I'm suspecting that because this may be a Windows 8-designed hardware, there may be some more BIOS things that need to be tweaked, uh, like turning off the secure boot. Um, and that, that, that just means that to dual boot, you'll have to turn it on when you want yeah. windows and turn it off when you want, uh, Linux to run, which is a bit of a pain, uh, mm -hmm. especially since you're fiddling with bio settings. And if you're not cited, that can be, uh, you know, difficult until you learn the pattern of where that setting is. And once you learn that, I guess it wouldn't be so bad, but it's still a hassle to have to make that switch back and forth. Yeah, hex messing with the the bio screens and sight is hard enough. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Jeez. So, Michael, good luck. Keep yeah, keep in luck, touch. Mike. Let us know how it goes, and uh, hopefully, it's just the thirty-two bit versus sixty-four bit thing, and just installing a thirty-two bit operating system will fix the problem for you. I can't believe they would sell him an eight gigabyte of RAM, uh, a computer with eight gigabytes of RAM and only have a 32-bit processor in it, though, because you, you wouldn't be able to use the eight gigabytes of RAM. Oh, uh, yeah, because what is it, max out at four? I think it's four, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah the, so that probably shoots my theory. But I wonder if it's an, I heard that there's certain districts have problems with the AMD processor. I wonder if it's an AMD processor. Yeah, unless we know the model. Uh, and yeah. maybe your We're suggestion. Just here. Yeah. Maybe your suggestion, uh, Bill, on how to find out the system information will help him out. And uh, Yeah, and if and you can always post it to or Google Plus uh forums because there's people a lot smarter than me in there and they might be able to figure out what's going on. Uh so let us know what's going on, Michael. Yep. There we go. Okay. Okay. Our next 
email come from Ken, and he just wanted to comment on the post on Google Plus about article on buying computers with Linux pre-installed. And I think he's talking about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to hate Unity 2, but I got used to it and is my preferred personal desktop, oddly enough. Larry, I'd like to hear a review of your experience with the hardware and the OS install. Future show topic, maybe? <laughs> well, Ken, uh, I I think that would be a great show topic, actually. Well, it it might be, but it would be very short. It installed <laughs> it's perfectly out of the box with no problems. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's the uh, seventy seven. Uh, here's the whole review. System seventy six, excellent computer, easy install. Okay, we're done. Yeah, so it, it went really, really smoothly. So um, yeah, we'll we'll consider elaborating maybe a little bit, but. Uh, it would be a short episode if we just dedicated it to that. Uh, we did go into it a bit uh, on the Computer America episode a couple of episodes ago, so maybe yeah. that was enough for Ken. It was certainly a review of uh, Linux pre-installed on computers, so that's yeah. uh, that's the cool thing. Good. Well, yeah, I hope uh, uh, that uh, that keeps working as well. I know you're pretty happy with it. it now, did you say um, now that you know he asked about? about it didn't you say you had some problems with the wi-fi card yeah it appeared to be problems with the wi-fi card but it was actually problems with the uh wi-fi router oh okay and uh once i updated the firmware on the router everything worked just fine so in other words it was still perfect install yeah well i tried (laughs) see ken i tried yeah okay so there you go okay our last email is actually a gone linux story from steve And it was posted on Google+. Steve writes, Tinkerer or get-it-done user, I decided to go Linux when Windows security updates ended for Windows 2000. I chose Ubuntu Studio for editing videos and photographs. I just wanted the system to work for the most part. I have a long history of tinkering in Microsoft DOS and eventually Windows, so I wasn't daunted by doing things on the command line. I was using old hardware that wasn't well supported by Linux, but I tinkered with it to make it work. My skill with computers often brought me hardware when friends and family decided they were done with it. So I continued to make my systems better, one piece at a time, (laughs) which means I was getting pretty good at Googling solutions to my little issues that came up with each new piece of hardware. Last year, I decided to get a new system, one that would be a real capable machine for years to come. I weighed my options and decided I could save a significant amount of information if I kept my case and assembled it myself. The machine is really what I wanted. I did have some issues I needed to tinker with, though. My first real problem was Android developer tools. First, I tried to just move the folder with my home directory. That failed because a lot of the 32-bit libraries were no longer packaged with the 64-bit version of Ubuntu Studio. So I downloaded the 64-bit version of the Android developer tools. That worked, but virtual devices still needed 32-bit libraries. So I went out and figured out which libraries I needed to install. Most recently, I picked up a Wacom Serial Graphics tablet at a thrift store. I couldn't pass it up, got it for almost nothing. Unfortunately, the documentation for the Wacom input drivers is very confusing concerning legacy serial tablets. It flat out doesn't support them at all. Well, that's a big problem. I found a legacy serial driver, Wacom Serial 5, by Roald Frey. But the last update was about eight months ago and required building from source. I had built applications from source before, but I am hesitant to mess with anything at the kernel level. I finally bit the bullet and tried the build instructions. They were wrong, but only in mentioning directory structure. Once built, this tablet works like a charm. I use it in GIMP for editing photos. I also let my grandson use it in Tux Paint. That's fun. Listening to the last podcast got me thinking about the dilemma, am I a tinkerer or do I just want it to work? I think I'm in both camps. I love to solve challenges, even if that means Googling an answer. I also want it to work. I am setting up to try GNU Cash, and I don't want to have to fiddle with it when I am entering my debit receipts. 
Great story, Steve. Thanks for the Gone Linux story. That was great. And um, yeah, I I am in your camp as well. I'm a tinkerer, but I like things just to work. I want to tinker when I want to work. And if it's not broke, I don't want to have to go fix it. I usually don't keep on just for long enough to tinker with it. <laughs> actually, yeah, actually, uh, if you really want this PC Linux OS has been on that hard drive longer than anything else, but it has been out of the computer. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's back in the computer and it's still there. So does that count even if it was offline? Sure. Why not? Okay. Hey, the new winner. New, but record. no, um, uh, I, I think as, as things as Linux gets better and better, there's less and less to tinker with, um, because it just it's gotten so good. But uh, I I just now want things to work, so I want to install it and just go. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm in the same camp. Um, yeah, I'm lazy these days. <laughs> I, I haven't distro hopped in a while. Yeah, I mean, you know, golly, I used to you know, go through five or six distros uh, every couple weeks. Now it's yeah, well, settling down. Not having your computer hardware doesn't help, but well, okay. Now, oh, so that yeah. is that. <laughs> yeah, but now that you've got it back, you can go back to distro hopping. But maybe you don't no. want to anymore. No, no, I, I, I'm pretty happy with what I got right now. But if I do, I've been using virtual machines, and uh, that's always helps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay, well, I think that's it for our episode, Bill. We've gone through some voicemails and some emails, and we're done. Yeah, and I just still hate you 200 megs. I haven't got it yet. Let's see. (laughs) Okay. Our next episode will be Computer America. Until then, go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.